this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't know the history of the birds. It's lovely to have you with us. And uh, you're in the right place to hear more about them. But what about some of the answers that people might give to that question, who's Jesus? So we might start by saying, well, he was a man who lived a long time ago. And that's an absolute um, incontroversial truth because the historians at the time wrote about Jesus. So we know he lived. But maybe when you think about Jesus, you think of, well, this man, very nice, kind, gentle, um, generous human being. And actually in your mind, maybe he's a bit more like Father Christmas. You know, I just wish you reminded me not to choke this up when you got eight. Yeah. Is he too much really? based on the date of his birth. How cool is that? Most of the world, even people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, celebrate his birthday. Lots of them, many without knowing it, celebrate his death as well. As far as I'm aware, there are no other people in history who've named their species as flowers. You might not think that's much of an accolade, but it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe you would say, well, you could call him a man that's really limiting because he did amazing things. He had these superpowers. He's much more of a superman type character, really. Or maybe you'd call him a great prophet, a great teacher. Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? Because here we are 2,000 years later. We still quote the things he taught about all that time ago. change our lives. And it's my prayer that our lives would be changed by your word this morning. Amen. So, um, you may have noticed that some of you in Boston are away at the moment and uh, having a good holiday, hopefully, and they'll be back uh, next week, I think. While they're away, we're continuing this series in the book of Matthew. And uh, we've reached Matthew 16. Now, the theologians here this morning are thinking, oh, Matthew 16, pivotal moment in Matthew's gospel. And some might say, actually, a pivotal moment in the whole Bible. So, no pressure at all. Uh, Matthew 16, and we're going to start reading together from verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you or a device, then um, you can follow the words as they come up on the screen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. 
Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus was starting. 
you may be caught while the Jesus and, and his disciples are about to march up to Jerusalem and topple the authorities. We have to bear in mind that you know many young Palestinian men like Peter and his friends had died in similar sorts of uprisings. But Jesus had no enemies. And we see in verse 20 that he says to his disciples, don't tell other people who I am. So he doesn't seem to be recruiting. And he doesn't seem to be whipping up any kind of enthusiasm for an uprising, does he? You see, in fact, while Peter has a brilliant moment in that he's identified Jesus as the Messiah who was expected, he hasn't really grasped what the world the Messiah is. So we're going to move further on in this story just to find out more about that. I'm going to continue reading in chapter 15 at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So, Peter has just identified the long-awaited Messiah, the rescuer. And Jesus tells him his grand plan for this rescue mission. He's going to die. Imagine the shock, uh, the contradiction. Um, you know, Peter's response to Jesus is completely understandable, isn't it? No way. No way. This will never happen. You know, Peter's given up his fishing business. He's away from his wife and his family. And he's following Jesus. He's given everything. This is not what he signed up for. But Jesus responds in a way that seems quite harsh. of men. Why is he so harsh? Well, Peter's problem is that he isn't really listening. He doesn't see what Jesus is doing. And Jesus doesn't want to be diverted from his plan. Who is Jesus? Yes, he's the Messiah. He is this triumphant king that was accepted, the rescuer. But the difficult truth is that if Jesus doesn't suffer and die, the rescue plan wouldn't work. The plan is summed up in uh, a verse in John's Gospel. For God so loved the world, he so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. anticipated a military victory, but actually our rescuer comes and dies and wins a spiritual victory. 
he just said that the entire reason for him coming was to die for us. Because he loved us. Because he didn't want us to pay the penalty for all the things that we had done wrong. He still said to love and honor. Christian writer Thomas Lewis wrote this. 
the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Move your life, give your life to Jesus, and you gain true life. It sounds a bit upside down. You see, my third description of Jesus that I want to share with you this morning, and I wonder if any of you came up with this one when I asked you at the beginning. See, Jesus is a revolutionary. He blew things up for us all. Not revolutionary in a traditional military uprising sort of way or human way, but revolutionary in terms of his kingdom. So Jesus has been teaching about and demonstrating the true kingdom of God. And it's astounding people, and it's upset people. He's spending his life in the company of the wrong sort of person. The non-religious, the downright sinful, women and children who are not home in society. Such outrageous things like somebody slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek, let them have a little go. He says things like, if one of those fetish Roman soldiers tells you to carry his kit for a mile, carry it for two miles. Jesus says this about anyone who chooses to follow him in this new life introduced in the kingdom. Verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple or my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And you know, when the disciples first heard him say that, they wouldn't have heard that phrase, take up your cross, like a metaphor, as we do, because they used to see people going to be executed, going to their crucifixion, made to carry their own cross. So they knew what this meant. So what Jesus is modeling here is this supreme self-sacrifice when he comes to rescue us and to give us life. And as he does that, he says, follow me. Do what I do. of God. Did you think that the kingdom of God would mean a few minor adjustments to our ordinary lives? Not if we're part of a revolution. C.S. Lewis again, and I love this quote, it's so witty. He said this, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Jesus always warned people to count the cost, didn't he? You know, he once turned around to people following him and he said, you realize I've got no home to go to. I don't have a roof over my head. He was very real about that cost. And today, this very day, hundreds of millions of Christians are living in fear of a knock on the door from the secret police. Many men died of fearful persecution. That's how they lived their lives. That imagery of the cross, carrying the cross, 
And that must feel very real for them. But for most of us, I think when Jesus offers us that rescue, or like we did there, when he offers us a meaningful reward, we feel like we can choose our levels of commitment. So it's easy for me to say, oh, every Thursday morning, I'm going to give up time to help them clean my goal and fill my schedule. Just put it in a diary, make it happen. But if I see my neighbour in need when I'm going out on the day, or I'm rushing for a train, and there's a homeless person sitting by the side of the road, to leave the campaigning for justice for the world's poorest a bit of a blessing. I have a silly story to tell you. This is a confession. I'm an occasional visitor to the gym, some of you may know. And uh, why it's been hot? Just didn't fancy it, really. Wasn't saying much. Hot, it's raining, it's snowing. Whatever, really. Anyway, I got to the gym um, a couple of weeks ago because the temperature dropped slightly. I had to take off some stuff. I was like, oh, God, I'm sick. Two weeks without exercise. This is, this is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. So I started my routine. And um, I realized I'd put the wrong trousers on to demonstrate. But you do have a picture of what this should look like. Okay, so I started my routine by doing some squats, holding a heavy ball in front of me. So something like that, okay? You see a better picture of it, don't you, Sue? And uh, I started doing them, and I was, I was actually rather pleased. These squats sound worthy of great beauty. Um, my technique was amazing. My knees were pointing out over my toes, and I was leaning back. I had the beanie tucked on fully. It was just amazing. And I thought, oh, I've been doing this for a couple of weeks, and it's just, and I've just done six of them, and it doesn't hurt a bit. And I had picked up my program, and I read it again, and I was reminded that I was supposed to give them one more rest. Oh, okay. So one leg, one leg, that, that is a different kettle of fish. Okay, one leg is wobbly and one leg hurts. I can testify. I did the next 12 on my left leg and then the right leg. And it wasn't, you know, it's not the same thing. Why do I share that story this morning with you? Because, because, you know, God put that in my mind as I was thinking about, you know, sometimes life just feels a little bit comfortable. And I just think sometimes I need to be reminded, check the program, God. Check the program. Am I doing what I was called to do? You know, this world has plenty of suffering, so I'm not suggesting that we go out looking for it intentionally. That's just not necessary. But we do need to recognize that the revolutionary lifestyle, and, and that is what Jesus asks us to 